Hi, guys. Welcome back. This is Lost Arts Radio Live, and my name is Richard Sachs. And what we're doing today is kind of unusual. I mean, you know it's unusual because this is the most dressed up I've been in years. Um, my normal clothes are running shorts and a T-shirt and things like that. But this is all experimental. And what we're doing, um, this idea came up because recently... Biden gave a speech, I think it was on the 9th of December, if I remember, or September, if I remember right. And it was his mandate speech. It was about how to force people to take the vaccines that are so good for everybody and not worry about the people dying from them and distractions like that. And then he gave another, we did a commentary on that speech that went live pretty quick after that. And then he did another speech, I think it might have been on, what was it, the 21st of September, if I got that right, and it was to the United Nations on behalf of America, and I thought it deserved some commentary, so we actually recorded a commentary on that UN speech, and I wanted to put in, for contrast and interest, a little piece of uh, Trump's uh, 2018 speech to the UN to see the, the stark contrast of globalism versus nationalism. And uh, remember the media that had this hate campaign against Trump going for the full four years and is still going on, uh, suggested that uh, Trump's nationalism was something like a fascist country trying to take over the rest of the world. Completely ridiculous because positive nationalism is suggested for every country. You know, Trump wasn't just uh, suggesting it for America, but no matter what country you live in, if you've got good uh, people in charge in political office, then what they do is try to put their country first in their priorities and make it a great place to protect the individual freedoms and natural rights of the people who live there. That's real nationalism, and that's what Trump was talking about. And in case there's any doubt, whether it was that version or the version that the media was lying about, you know, that's one of uh, Trump's strongest uh, endorsements is that the media felt that it was worthwhile to spread complete lies and hatred about Trump for, from the time he got into office. So it's a complex situation, but we wanted to put a a juxtaposition of the two people talking to the UN. So we're going to do that. I'll play that in a minute. Um, you'll see that Biden, in contrast, uh, reading off the teleprompter, it's not really Biden's fault because I doubt that he writes any of his own speeches or anything. But he's suggesting in his speech that uh, globalist government should take over the U.S. right away, uh, taking money from taxpayers and giving it to corrupt other governments around the world without permission. And it's totally unconstitutional to do that. Uh, if the money's for general use in other countries, that's still theft. It's totally unconstitutional. And if it's for vaccines, which Biden also announces in that speech, then it's not just unconstitutional, it's also genocide based on VAERS numbers of the people that have died from the injection up to now, which is about 1% reported in VARES. So it's essentially uh, six, between sixteen and 17,000 times 100 deaths so far. And that's the tip of the iceberg compared to what's coming. And we're working on antidotes before that all comes to pass. Um, 
I'm sure that more unconstitutional mandates are planned at the federal and state level in the U.S. and other places, too. And more people at the same time as these mandates and aggressive, uh, unlawful Nuremberg code-breaking measures are, are increasing all over the world. Awareness is rising, too, and more people are becoming aware that not only is the pandemic based on 100% fraud and what's making people sick is not the so-called virus, but a much bigger agenda behind that is becoming more known. Um, real deaths are happening now as opposed to last year, but they're due mostly to the injected bioweapon. Um, the original deaths just started off. Most of the great doctors that we've had on who are not beholden to any industrial or government interests are saying that most likely the original deaths in, in China and other places were due to uh, bioweapon disbursement in other forms. We posted a lot of detail on that from uh, Mike Adams and other people that's wor- worth watching. So what I want to do now to try out this new software that uh, we have ready to go and Doug has it set up is to show a commentary on uh, a little piece of a, a speech to the UN in 2018 by Donald Trump for contrast, and then the full speech, or almost the full speech, by Biden uh, with some commentary by myself. And um, I realized after it was done, watching the full speech of Biden may inflict severe damage on some of the viewers by boredom. And that's my fault. I probably should have just done little clips of it to give the idea, but I did the whole, almost the whole speech. So I, I deeply apologize for that. And if you find yourself falling asleep or, you know, getting upset, don't break your computer or your television. Just, uh, know that we're working on this new software that lets us bring up clips and do better commentary. Um, and we'll make it more more discreet next time without showing long, long, boring speeches, unless it's just unavoidable to get a point across. So, uh, you know, the, I guess the good side is that when you're l- listening to the long uh, parts that are boring in Biden's speech to the UN, it's a good time to take a bathroom break, get some food from the kitchen or anything like that. You're not going to miss anything earth shaking. So anyway, I hope you enjoy it and you see the the start contract. I'm not endorsing everything that Trump did. I'm not, first of all, I'm not trying to hate anybody, Biden, Trump, Clinton, Bush, anybody. That's not our approach here. But, um, and some of the things that Trump did near the end were disastrous, fatal mistakes or blunders, depending on how you see them. But the contrast between Trump and Biden is extraordinary. And the people that say, oh, Trump was all terrible. No, Trump did a lot of great things, including pushing nationalism in the real form. And this is an example of the contrast here. And what we need is somebody, whoever, it, whatever party it comes from, wherever source it comes from, of the most awake person we can get. And that's more likely as the population becomes conscious and shakes off the hypno- hypnosis. So see what you think. This is a small excerpt from Trump's speech to the UN in 2018, followed by uh, Biden's current speech to 
the UN saying what the attitude of America is going to be interacting with the world at this point. So see what you think. Hey guys, welcome back. Uh, this is Richard Sachs on Lost Arts Radio. And a few days ago, we played commentary on a speech on that Biden had given that I call the mandate speech, although there may be more, uh, more mandate speeches that he's got in mind with further steps in locking down the country as part of the lockdown of all over the world. Very important to understand what's happening for strategic purposes, but I noticed after we did that, that there was another speech that Biden gave at the UN, which was really laying out the attitude that the administration was taking on behalf of the U.S. in relation to other countries, and that was just as important. So I want to make a few minutes of comment on that today, too, and play it for you in case you missed it, and we'll interrupt. I'll try not to interrupt too much but at the key points, and I, and it also struck me, you know, I guess the reason for this is I'm still getting a lot of emails really viciously hating Trump. And that's a complex issue because Trump made some ma- massive uh, blunders, the main one of which, of course, was um, handing over the country to mass murderers and uh, what S- Dr. Selenko calls the poison death shot. That's not a small mistake or a small bad move. And there are debates going on whether he did it intentionally and was a bad person from the beginning. But that's pretty much secondary to the fact of what he actually did and the effect of it. And the reason it's not just a superficial, obvious issue is that it's not all good or all bad. Trump did some things that were incredibly good. And that's why they're still doubt in a lot of people's minds, including mine to a great degree of, you know, Trump didn't seem to be badly motivated because if you're working for the deep state, what he called the deep state or uh, the globalists, the Illuminati, the the hidden group of families at the top that in my opinion is, is pointing toward total world uh, extermination then you don't say things like teaching people that the borders are critical. You don't ever do that. And um, you don't talk about nationalism in the good sense. And Trump's vision was nationalism for every country and then cooperating with maintaining sovereignty instead of being under global dictatorship like the UN was supposed to lead us into and still intends to with the World Economic Forum and all these groups that are under UN coordination. So it's important to realize the magnitude of the bad thing that Trump did when he brought in warp speed. That was horrible. That was like complicity in mass murder. No other way to say it, I don't think. And there are people writing me and saying, well, he did it just to wake people up and, you know, show what's happening so it could turn around. I'm, my viewpoint is obviously totally fallible. I'm learning as we go. But to me, that 
holds no water at all. You don't, you don't take part in mass murder to help wake people up. That's complete baloney, I'll say, for the family show purposes here. Um, but w- other things that Trump did were incredibly good. He pulled out of the Paris Climate Accord. He made the U.S. energy self-sufficient, which was incredible. Huge uh, element of national security for any country. And he strengthened the military, which was also important as long as they're used for real defense. Really helped the economic situation. Uh, and then he made his move into destroying everything he had done by, you know, condoning lockdowns, handing things over to major unelected criminals. I mean, even if they were elected, they'd still be criminals. But, you know, good and bad things there, and it's important to understand both. And we're going to look at some of the things that Biden has presented to the U.N. on, uh, I think it was the 21st, just a few days ago, as a, as a kind of a warning where the U.S. is going. But before looking at Biden, I'd like to play a short clip for contrast of how Trump st- sounded when he spoke to the U.N. And I think, I didn't write that down, but I think it was in, in uh, 2018. And the media was hating him then. They hated him in 2016. They hate him now. And if he was just fully identified with the idiocy of warp speed, the crime of warp speed, the media would love him. So I'm encouraging you guys, trust the mainstream media. They don't hate people who are bad, unless they absolutely have to for some nefarious purpose. Normally, if they spend billions of dollars worth of airtime on hating somebody year after year after year, it's unlikely that they're a really bad person. And you need to look at that and understand what's happening. So to get the contrast between what we're about to see from Joe Biden and what we need to plan for and uh, find a way to reverse, actually, with all the damage from warp speed playing right into Biden's programs, let's look at the difference between uh, Biden and Trump by playing uh, first a, a clip, a short clip, because we don't have time for the whole thing from Trump's 2018 speech to the UN, and then I'll show you the difference. In Poland, the great people are standing up for their independence, their security, and their sovereignty. Many countries are pursuing their own unique Mm -hmm. visions, building their own hopeful futures, and chasing their own wonderful dreams of destiny, of legacy, and of a home. The whole world is richer. Humanity is better because of this beautiful constellation of nations, each very special, each very unique, and each shining brightly in its part of the world. In each one, we see awesome promise of a people bound together by a shared past and working toward a common future. As for Americans, we know what kind of future we want for ourselves. We know what kind of a nation America must always be. In America, we believe in the majesty of freedom and the dignity of the individual. We believe in self-government 
and the rule of law. And we prize the culture that sustains our liberty, a culture built on strong families, deep faith, and fierce independence. We celebrate our heroes. We treasure our traditions. And above all, we love our country. Inside everyone in this great chamber today, and everyone listening all around the globe, there is the heart of a patriot that feels the same powerful love for your nation, the same intense loyalty to your homeland, the passion that burns in the hearts of patriots and the souls of nations has inspired reform and revolution, sacrifice and selflessness, scientific breakthroughs, and magnificent works of art. Our task is not to erase it, but to embrace it, to build with it, to draw on its ancient wisdom, and to find within it the will to make our nations greater, our region safer, and the world better. To unleash this incredible potential in our people, we must defend the foundations that make it all possible. Sovereign and independent nations are the only vehicle where freedom has ever survived, democracy has ever endured, or peace has ever prospered. And so we must protect our sovereignty and our cherished independence above all. When we do, we will find new avenues for cooperation unfolding before us. We will find new passion for peacemaking rising within us. We will find new purpose, new resolve, and new spirit flourishing all around us and making this a more beautiful world in which to live. So together, let us choose a future of patriotism, prosperity, and pride. Let us choose peace and freedom over domination and defeat. And let us come here to this place to stand for our people and their nations, forever strong, forever sovereign, forever just, and forever thankful for the grace and the goodness and the glory of God. Thank you, God bless you, and God bless the nations of the world. Thank you very much. Thank you. On behalf of the General Assembly, I wish okay, to thank the president. So um, we could talk for hours about that clip. And as I said, all my observations are subject to error, but I look really carefully in. That's not the speech of somebody who's trying to tear down the world. Uh, it's not the speech of a globalist. And the only way it could be is if you say, well, he's making believe that he has all the right ideas, so he's saying all good things so that he can fool you. And I don't pick that up from him. And maybe you're right and I'm wrong, and I'm getting a lot of uh, 
heat for, from that point of view. But, and again, I'm not going to talk a long time about it, but I think the reason Trump got so many great people to follow him is he said a lot of things like that, and he didn't just talk. He pulled out of the Paris Climate Accord. He made the country energy self-sufficient. That's not something you do for the globalists. He spoke openly at a pro-life conference, the first president to do that. Um, he spoke about the critical necessity of borders, and he explained as well as he could nationalism. It wasn't super accurate when he talked about globalism. He said, he or whoever wrote his, one of his speeches said, globalism might be what's better for the whole world. That's completely wrong. Um, positive nationalism, he was demonstrating globalism is moving the whole world toward independent tyranny and destroying sovereignty. And he was saying in this little clip and many other times that sovereignty is critically essential. And the, the freedom of the individual and self-government, those are not things you get people promoting if you're a globalist. So, you know, I guess the bottom line with his massive bungle of warp speed, which is a death sentence for so many people, playing right into the globalist's hands. I talked to so many doctors and scientists and really good people, very intelligent, very well-meaning and benevolent people, highly educated, which is their downfall in a lot of ways. And because instead of learning, they've memorized a lot of what they think they've learned, especially the ones in the health field and medical. And they men they memorize slogans like safe and effective, safe and effective. And eventually they, they really honestly believe it. A lot of good people believe in the vaccine. They really do. I've talked to many of them and Many are so programmed that you can't really get them to see the contradictions in their line of thought. They just have been programmed to believe it. And from what I can tell, Trump is one of those, and he's got a really strong ego, which enabled him to survive four years of hate campaign, more than that now, from the media, our criminal media. But it also makes it really hard, I think, for him to admit a mistake. And he needs to admit that mistake. I... I can't support him going on with warp speed, but, you know, if it gets to be a choice between him and an open globalist, somebody needs to get to Trump and, and test it and say, sir, here's your mistake. Here, here it is laid out uh, logic. Here's the proof. Here's the documentation, which is massive. We put a lot of it up, posted it on lostartsradio.com. Vaccine Impact News and a lot of other great sources, uh, which can't be ignored if somebody's honestly looking at it. So I think Trump is one of those people that can't imagine that the authorities are that corrupt and evil as what they really are. Anyway, he's pushing nationalism in a good sense, which is really important. Borders, secure borders for every country, he clearly wants it for every country. Biden, on the other hand, is openly promoting not only globalism, but on the warp speed and vaccine thing. He wants there to be no choice. And maybe Trump would have changed to that and, you know, um, unveiled himself as a mega criminal. I don't know. But he didn't while he was in office. And Biden is. So there's an immediate threat to 
America and all of humanity from Biden. And he's going to be explaining that in this uh, peace uh, speech that he gave on the 21st, we said, I think, to the UN. And look at the difference. And I'll try not to stop it too often. But when you're watching it, contrast it with that vision of all independent nations cooperating, as Trump was just saying, and honoring their own cultures and their own traditions, but not giving up their sovereignty. Really important. You know, the United Nations could have done a lot of good if they were founded on that concept instead of global consolidated dictatorship, which is where they're going. They've done so many criminal things. And I mean, we don't want to start going into that now, but the UN has a really, really bad history. There's a reason that they were supported by the foundations that they were. And Rockefeller bought their land and donated the land. Threat to humanity, the United Nations is, and they're connected with the World Health Organization, which Trump uh, publicly pulled partially out of and then didn't wasn't able to complete it. And Biden went right back in fully, right back into the Paris Climate Accord. Um, Trump made a deadly mistake, but I think it was a mistake. And if he could be gotten to, at least we could find out if he would be willing to correct it if he was faced with all the right documents. I don't know. I don't know. But... With Biden, it's clear. I don't think he knows what he's talking about because of his late-stage dementia, but the people who are writing his speeches know exactly where they're going, and we're going to see it laid out right now. So keep that in mind as we watch his speech. I'll interrupt it when we need to. On behalf of the General Assembly, I have the honor to welcome to the United Nations... His Excellency Joseph R. Biden, Jr., President of the United States of America, and to invite him to address the Assembly. Mr. President, Mr. Secretary General, my fellow delegates, to all those who dedicate themselves to this noble mission of this institution, it's my honor to speak to you for the first time as President of the United States. We meet this year in a moment of intermingled with great pain and extraordinary possibility. We've lost so much to this this devastating pandemic that continues to claim lives around the world and impact so much on our existence. We're mourning more than 4.5 million people, people of every nation, from every background. Each death is an individual heartbreak. But our shared grief is a poignant reminder that our collective future will hinge on our ability to recognize our common humanity and to act together. Ladies and gentlemen, this is the clear and urgent choice that we face here at the dawning of what must be a decisive decade for our world, a decade that will quite literally determine our futures. As a global community, We're challenged by urgent and looming crises, wherein lie enormous opportunities if, if we can summon the will and resolve to seize these opportunities. Will we work together to save lives, defeat COVID-19 everywhere, and take the necessary steps to prepare ourselves for the next pandemic? 
for there will be another one? Or will we fail to harness the tools at our disposal as the more virulent and dangerous variants take hold? Will we meet the threat of challenging climate, the challenging climate we're all feeling, already ravaging every part of our world with extreme weather? Or will we suffer the merciless march of ever-worsening droughts and floods, more intense fires and hurricanes, longer heat waves and rising seas? Will we affirm and uphold the human dignity and human rights under which nations and common cause more than seven decades ago formed this institution? Will we apply and strengthen the core tenets of, inter of the international system, including the UN Charter and the Universal Declaration of Human Rights, as we seek to shape the emergence of new technologies and deter new threats? Or okay, hold it right there. He just gave us about two hours of stuff to talk about, and we're trying to finish this in a reasonable amount of time. But again, notice the contrast that Trump was explaining nationalism. He was promoting nationalism. That's not something damaging to humanity. That's something essential for freedom. Because if you get rid of nationalism, you've got control from a consolidated dictator. And, and that's what Biden is talking about with the global community working together. Uh, he said the huge pandemic has already killed four and a half million people. Uh, Joe, well, Joe, I, you're just trying to read correctly off the teleprompter, I know, but whoever wrote, uh, no, I can't speak to them because they're doing this for destructive purposes openly. I guess I'll speak to all of us that if you want to say 4.5 million people have died from COVID-19, you need two things, kind of an important uh, little detailed tip here to the people who want to say that. And this shouldn't, shouldn't be accepted by anybody who's listening. You need a test for COVID-19 that's actually SARS-CoV-2 that's, that is a real test and actually test for a virus. That's really important. If you don't have a test, where are you getting the numbers? You're making them up or you're taking them from other kinds of deaths. We don't have a test for the virus, at least nothing that's public, nothing that's known about. PCR is not a diagnostic test, and Kerry Mullis, the inventor of the test, said specifically, and you can find this on, online right now, it hasn't been taken down. I think it's even on YouTube, which is amazing. Um, he said PCR can't be used to diagnose anything, period. He didn't say it's too many false positives or false negatives. The, the doctors who say that, many of them are very well motivated and very smart. And they're completely missing the point, maybe due to their extensive education. I don't know. It's not a problem of too many false positives. The test is irrelevant. There are no numbers from it at all that are valid. Um, so I said you need two things. You need a test instead of PCR that actually is real, which is not out there. And the other thing is you need a sample of the virus that you're testing for. That's where the so-called isolation has to be done correctly. You know, because if you have a soup and, and there's billions of different kinds of organisms in it, you can't say that's a sample of the virus. 
That's not even basic common sense. So apparently, no one has a sample of the virus that's isolated. No one has isolated it. No one's gone through Rivers Protocol to see if it infects anybody and causes any disease. And Joe, you're saying four and a half million people died of COVID-19. That's completely baseless. People did die of something. A lot of them are dying of damage from the vaccine now, according to the whistleblowers in the hospital. In spite of all the people that have been programmed from the TV to say, no, it's COVID-19, we're all going to die if we don't have endless vaccines. According to the people that are in the hospital, and now Veritas has come out with a completely damning video showing doctors know about this, but they're scared to talk about it. People are being killed by the vaccine. And in, in Joe's mandate speech, a few days earlier, he said, the U.S. is taking taxpayer money and they're buying vaccines from the drug, I would was about to say drug dealers, I won't say that, the vaccine pharmaceutical experts. And they're sending them off to other countries to inflict on the populations there. That's massive crime against humanity. And it's going on right now. See if there was, anyway, in this continual e- emphasis on the working together globally to save lives and battle COVID-19. COVID-19 is based on SARS-CoV-2 virus, which so far, kind of an important detail, hasn't been shown to exist. You know, if, if the general population grasps that, then uh, things change. It's not enough for just isolated leaders to get it because that's been done. Some really smart leaders in, in uh, Africa and other places have figured out, wait a minute, what's going on here? And, and one of them, I think from Tanzania, sent in a soil sample to be COVID tested and it was, it was infected. It was sick with COVID and it was a uh, sample of soil. That's how real the pandemic is. I mean, it's real. It's just not honest and valid. And it's going to be used against the world to exterminate a lot of people. So let's go back to Joe. I'm sorry to take so long. Now these universals, those universal principles to be trampled and twisted in the pursuit of naked political power. In my view, how we answer these questions in this moment, whether we choose to fight for our shared future or not, will reverberate for generations yet to come. Simply put, we stand, in my view, at an inflection point in history. And I'm here today to share with you how the United States intends to work with partners and allies to answer these questions, and the commitment of my new administration to help lead the world toward a more peaceful, prosperous future for all people. Instead of continuing to fight the wars of the past, we are fixing our eyes on devoting our resources to the challenges that hold the keys to our collective future. Ending this pandemic, addressing the climate crisis, managing the shifts in global power dynamics, shaping the rules of the world on vital issues like trade, cyber, and emerging technologies, and facing the threat of terrorism as it stands today. We've ended 20 years of conflict in Afghanistan. And as we close this period of relentless war, 
We're opening a new era of relentless diplomacy, of using the power of our development aid to invest in new ways of lifting people up around the world, of renewing and defending democracy, of proving that no matter how challenging or how complex the problems we're going to face, government by and for the people is still the best way to deliver for all of our people. And as the United States turns our focus to the priorities and the regions of the world, like the Indo-Pacific that are most consequential today and tomorrow, we'll do so with our allies and partners through cooperation at multilateral institutions like the United Nations to amplify our collective strength and speed our progress toward dealing with these global challenges. There's a fundamental truth of the 21st century. Within each of our countries, and as a global community, that our own success is bound up in others succeeding as well. To deliver for our own people, we must also engage deeply with the rest of the world. To ensure that our own future, we must work together with other partners, our partners toward a shared future. Our security, our prosperity, and our very freedoms are interconnected in my view, as never before. And so, I believe we must work together as never before. Hold on right there. A um, couple of things I should have mentioned. One is that uh, just like Fauci mentioned before the current pandemic started, was unleashed on the world, he said, and President Trump will have a serious uh, health challenge. I think he mentioned the word pandemic because they knew that it was being planned and it would be released. And Joe just indicated the same thing. He said, there will be another pandemic. There's no way to know that without being privy to the plans to set the next one loose. And it's been announced by many of the people involved. So unless things have changed, unless the, you know, if the same people remain in power, that's, that's what's planned to happen. And it will happen unless it's stopped and it needs to be stopped in advance. Um, he also mentioned the terrible climate crisis. Well, and he had also got back into the Paris Climate Accord, which is a total scam. And again, we don't have time for the, the details into this. This is enough for hours and hours of discussion. But I've been a really committed environmental, environmentalist supporter since, I don't know, the mid 1960s or before. And, that doesn't mean that the climate crisis is being used uh, in a good way right now. It's a total scam. The real climate crisis that's currently existing has another name, and I think you guys know what it is. It's called geoengineering. And none of the leaders that I know of, not not Trump, not Biden, not anybody in other countries, will talk about the real climate crisis. It's, it's actually a weather crisis, because I don't think it's changing the climate per se. If the spraying stopped, the climate might certainly go back to, or closer to normal. We don't know unless the, unless the spraying stops. So the real climate issue is geoengineering. And so far, nobody's talking about it. That When they talk about the climate crisis, it's being used as a, a scam to take away your rights and individual freedoms. Joe also mentioned the International Declaration of Human Rights, uh, through the United Nations, which is predicated on the idea that 
the authority like the UN or a government gives you privileges, which it can take away. The United States is an enemy of the globalist and needs to be eradicated in their mind because the rights that are talked about in the founding documents of the United States, they come from God and they're unalienable. This is what's wrong with warp speed and what almost all of what Biden is doing and the unconstitutional lockdowns, the forced uh, injections that he's going to try to make everybody uh, take unavoidably in, in order to keep their livelihood together. Um, those all violate the real rights that everybody has in every country, and they come from God, and they can't be taken away. So... Um, I guess the only other thing that I wanted to bring up before we go back to Joe is he said, yes, we just ended 20 years of fighting in Afghanistan and the mainstream criminal media that we have in the U.S. said, and Biden has finally brought peace to the region. No, what Biden did, he's the figurehead. What the people who control him did was to instantaneously overnight create the one of the best armed terrorist armies in the world the ta- Taliban which is now having uh, tens of billion dollar tens of billions of dollars in equipment from the United States to do what they're going to do and they're they've been very clear about their intent in the past so i'm just going to point out some of the main erroneous statements that Biden is making and things that indicate which direction he wants to take the, the United States and the world toward global government, for sure, to fight the terrible COVID crisis and the climate change. So both of which are complete frauds. So let's go back to Biden now, and we'll try to wait for a while before stopping him. Regions of the world, like the Indo-Pacific, that are most consequential today and tomorrow, will do so with our allies and partners through cooperation at multilateral institutions like the United Nations to amplify our collective strength and speed our progress toward dealing with these global challenges. It is a fundamental truth of the 21st century. Within each of our countries and as a global community, that our own success is bound up in others succeeding as well. To deliver for our own people, we must also engage deeply with the rest of the world. To ensure that our own future, we must work together with other partners our partners toward a shared future. Our security, our prosperity, and our very freedoms are interconnected, in my view, as never before. And so, I believe we must work together as never before. Over the last eight months, I prioritized rebuilding our alliances, revitalizing our partnerships, and recognizing they're essential and central to America's enduring security and prosperity. We have reaffirmed our sacred NATO alliance to Article 5 commitment. We're working with our allies toward a new strategic concept that will help our alliance better take on evolving threats of today and tomorrow. We renewed our engagement with the European Union, a fundamental partner in tackling the full range of significant issues facing our world today. We elevated the Quad Partnership among Australia, India, Japan, and the United States to take on challenges ranging from health security to climate 
to emerging technologies. We're engaging with regional institutions from ASEAN to the African Union to the Organization of American States to focus on people's urgent needs for better health and better economic outcomes. We're back at the table in international forums, especially the United Nations, to focus attention and to spur global action on shared challenges. We are re-engaged at the World Health Organization and working in close partnership with COVAX to deliver life-saving vaccines around the world. We rejoined the Paris Climate Agreement and we're running to retake a seat in the Human Rights Council next year at the UN. And as the United States seeks to rally the world to action, we will lead not just with the example of our power, but God willing with the power of our example. Make no mistake, the United States will continue to defend ourselves, our allies, and our interests against attack, including terrorist threats, as we prepare to use force if any is necessary. But to defend our vital U.S. national interest, including against ongoing and imminent threats. But the mission must be clear and achievable, undertaken with informed consent of the American people, and whenever possible, in partnership with our allies. U.S. military power must be our tool of last resort, not our first. And it should not be used as an answer to every problem we see around the world. Indeed, today, many of our greatest concerns cannot be solved or even addressed through the force of arms. Bombs and bullets cannot defend against COVID-19 or its future variants. To fight this pandemic, we need a collective act of science and political will. We need to act now to get shots in arms as fast as possible and expand access to oxygen, tests, treatments to save lives around the world. And for the future, we need to create a new mechanism to finance global health security that builds on our existing development assistance and global health and a global health threat council that is armed with the tools we need to monitor and identify emerging pandemics so that we can take immediate action. Already, the United States has put more than $15 billion toward global COVID response, the global COVID response. We've shipped more than 160 million doses of COVID-19 vaccine to other countries. This includes 130 million doses from our own supply and the first tranches of a half a billion doses of Pfizer vaccine we purchased to donate through COVAX. Planes carrying vaccines from the United States have already landed in 100 countries, bringing people all over the world a little dose of hope, as one American nurse termed it to me. A dose of hope direct from the American people, and importantly, no strings attached. And tomorrow, at the U.S.-hosted Global 19 COVID-19 Summit, I'll be announcing additional commitments as we seek to advance the fight against COVID-19 and hold ourselves accountable around specific targets on three key challenges. 
saving lives now, vaccinating the world, and building back better. This Hold year has on, also just, brought just widespread... Sec. Building back better is a reference to the Great Reset and uh, everything that Klaus Schwab is pushing through the World Economic Forum. It's a, basically a threat to humanity. And uh, he just finished talking about how the fact that he wants to save lives all over the world. So the U.S. has taken essentially taxpayer money extorted because there's no reason to take it for sending it to other countries. No justification for that. And he's put it into vaccines that will be administered to people in other parts of the world. He wants to save lives. He needs to know that VIRS is reporting about 1% of the actual damage from the vaccine. And as of the time right now when we're talking, the VIRS death count from the people who have been killed by the vaccine in America alone is around 16,000. And if that's roughly 1%, as the Harvard study said that we've cited many times, that's about 1.6 million people killed by the vaccine so far. And he wants to kill more people with the vaccine to save lives. There's something wrong with that reasoning. I mean, obviously, I don't even know if he's aware of it, but they're figuring that all of us are too dumbed down to notice anything wrong with that picture as they shut down the world economy to save lives by giving people lethal injections. It's worth thinking about. So let's let's go back to Joe. Death and devastation from the borderless climate crisis. The extreme weather events that we have seen in every part of the world, and you all know it and feel it, represent what the Secretary General has rightly called code red for humanity. And the scientists and experts are telling us that we're fast approaching a point of no return in a literal sense. To keep within our reach the vital goal of limiting global warming to 1.5 degrees Celsius, every nation needs to bring their highest possible ambitions to the table when we meet in Glasgow for COP26. And then to have to keep raising our collective ambition over time. In April, I announced the United States' ambitious new goal under the Paris Agreement to reduce greenhouse gas emissions from the United States by 50 to 52 percent below 2005 levels by 2030 as we work toward achieving a clean energy economy with net zero emissions by 2050. And my administration is working closely with our Congress to make critical investments in green infrastructure and electric vehicles that will help us lock in progress at home toward our climate goals. And the best part is, making these ambitious investments isn't just good climate policy. It's a chance for each of our countries to invest in ourselves and our own future. It's an enormous opportunity to create good-paying jobs for workers in each of our countries and to spur long-term economic growth that will improve the quality of life for all of our people. We also have to support the countries and people that will be hit the hardest and that have the fewest resources to help them adapt. In April, I announced the United States will double our public international financing to help developing nations tackle the climate crisis. And today, 
I'm proud to announce that we'll work with the Congress to double that number again, including for adaptation efforts. This will make the United States a leader in public climate finance. And with our added support, together with increased private capital and other, from other donors, we'll be able to meet the goal of mobilizing $100 billion to support climate action in developing nations. As we deal with these crises, we're also encountering a new era, an era of new technologies and possibilities that have potential to release and reshape every aspect of human existence. And it's up to all of us to determine whether these technologies are a force to empower people or to deepen repression. As new technologies continue to evolve, we'll work together with our democratic partners to ensure that new advances in areas from biotechnology to quantum computing, 5G, artificial intelligence, and more are used to lift people up to solve problems and advance human freedom, not to suppress dissent or target minority communities. And the United States tends to make a profound investment in research and innovation, working with countries at all stages of economic development to develop new tools and technologies to help us tackle the challenges of this second quarter of the 21st century and beyond. We're hardening our critical infrastructure against cyber attacks, disrupting ransomware networks, and working to establish clear rules of the road for all nations as it relates to cyberspace. We'll reserve the right to respond decisively to cyber attacks that threaten our people, our allies, or our interests. We will pursue new rules of global trade and economic growth that strive to level the playing field so that it's not artificially tipped in favor of any one country at the expense of others. And every nation has the right and opportunity to compete fairly. We will strive to ensure that basic labor rights, environmental safeguards, and intellectual property are protected, and that the benefits of globalization are shared broadly throughout all our societies. We'll continue to uphold the long-standing rules and norms that have formed the guardrails of international engagement for decades that have been essential to the development of nations around the world. Bedrock commitments like freedom of navigation, adherence to international laws and treaties, support for arms control measures that reduce the risk, the risk and enhance transparency. Our approach is firmly grounded and fully consistent with the United Nations mission and the values we've agreed to when we drafted this charter. These are commitments we all made and that we're all bound to uphold. And as we strive to deal with these urgent challenges, whether they're long-standing or newly emerging, we must also deal with one another. All the major powers of the world have a duty, in my view, to carefully manage their relationships so they do not tip from responsible competition to conflict. The United States will compete and will compete vigorously and lead with our values and our strength. We'll stand up for our allies and our friends and oppose attempts 
by stronger countries to dominate weaker ones, whether through changes to territory by force, economic coercion, technical exploitation, or disinformation. <clears throat> but we're not seeking, say it again, we are not seeking a new Cold War or a world divided into rigid blocks. The United States is ready to work with any nation that steps up and pursues peaceful resolution to shared challenges, even if we have intense disagreements in other areas. Because we'll all suffer the consequences of our failure if we do not come together to address the urgent threats like COVID-19 and climate change or enduring threats like nuclear proliferation. The United States remains committed to preventing Iran from gaining a nuclear weapon. We are working with the P5 plus one to engage Iran diplomatically and to seek a return to JCPOA. We're prepared to return to full compliance if Iran does the same. Similarly, we seek serious and sustained diplomacy to pursue the complete denuclearization of the Korean Peninsula. We seek concrete progress toward an available plan with tangible commitments that would increase stability on the peninsula and in the region, as well as improve the lives of the people in the Democratic People's Republic of Korea. We must also remain vigilant to the threat of terror that terrorism poses to all our nations, whether emanating from distant regions of the world or in our own backyards. We know the bitter string of terrorism. The bitter sting of terrorism is, is real. We've almost all experienced it. Last month, we lost 13 American heroes and almost 200 innocent Afghan civilians in a heinous terrorist attack at the Kabul airport. Those who commit acts of terrorism against us will continue to find a determined enemy in the United States. The world today is not the world of 2001, though. And the United States is not the same country we were when we were attacked on 9-11 20 years ago. Today, we're better equipped to detect and prevent terrorist threats, and we are more resilient in our ability to repel them and to respond. We know how to build effective partnerships to dismantle terrorist networks by targeting their financing and support systems, countering their propaganda, preventing their travel, as well as disrupting imminent attacks. We'll meet terrorist threats that arise today and in the future with a full range of tools available to us, including working in cooperation with local partners so that we need not be so reliant on large-scale military deployments. One of the most important ways we can effectively enhance security and reduce violence is by seeking to improve the lives of the people all over the world who see that their governments are not serving their needs. Corruption fuels inequality, siphons off a nation's resources, spreads across borders, and generates human suffering. It's nothing less than a national security threat in the 21st century. Around the world, we're increasingly seeing citizens demonstrate their discontent, seeing the wealthy and well-connected grow richer and richer, taking payoffs and bribes, 
operating above the law, while the vast majority of the people struggle to find a job or put food on the table or to get their businesses off the ground or simply send their children to school. People have taken to the streets in every region to demand that their governments address people's basic needs, give everyone a fair shot to succeed and protect their God-given rights. And in that chorus of voices across languages and continents, we hear a common cry, a cry for dignity, simple dignity. As leaders, it's our duty to answer that call, not to silence it. The United States is committed to using our resources and our international platform to support these voices, listen to them, partner with them to find ways to respond that advance human dignity around the world. Hold on one second. For example. Um, Joe, it's not dignity, it's freedom. And that includes in the U.S. And your comments about corruption you're a great example. You've been on video at, I think it was a CFR meeting, wasn't it, when you were uh, on display with corruption in your Ukraine dealings, trying to protect your son by getting a prosecutor file or fired within hours. And if if they didn't do it, you were going to be working with Obama to withhold a billion dollars of uh, loan guarantee, I think, was foreign aid to the Ukraine. You're speaking on behalf of corruption, and it's not dignity in the sense that you are talking about that people are saying are demanding. They're saying they want freedom, and governments are supposed to be serving at the will of the people with their permission, not telling them how to live their lives or what to do. And in the U.S., the economy is being systematically destroyed like it is in a lot of other countries around the world, with the excuse of fighting COVID-19 that hasn't been shown to exist. It's a really serious problem, but the whole point was to show the uh, distinction between Trump's message of international sovereignty and individual freedom and Biden's mission of using everybody's money to uh, fuel a socialist world order, a new world order, to go along with what the WEF is calling the Great Reset. And Biden is warning that it's quickly being put together, which we know, and says that another pandemic is coming. And they know it's coming because it's going to be artificial, just like the current one is. And it turned out that the bioweapon in the current pandemic was not the virus, so to speak, the COVID-19, according to... um, Dr. Martin, that has gone into this in great detail. That virus only exists in silico, in a computer file. And the things that are being blamed on it are not from SARS-CoV-2. And whatever is causing people to get sick who aren't vaccinated now is easily remedied with things that are totally censored and banned at the moment. We have a basic serious problem that The world, if you boil it down to the bottom line, is under the control of a network of coordinated mafias, and they intend extermination. And so we have something that has to be dealt with. And I think at the the bottom line of the whole thing is it's a consciousness test of humanity. Leaders like David Icke and Chris Guy have been talking about coordinated 
peaceful non-compliance, which I think would stop the whole thing in its tracks. But that's only going to happen with a difference in consciousness and people getting breaking their drug habit of sitting in front of the television and absorbing all the corrupt criminal media that's telling the world what to believe. So I think this is almost over. Let's see if we can hear the end of it. Should be just about there right now. There's an enormous need for infrastructure in developing countries. But infrastructure that is low quality or that feeds corruption or exacerbates environmental degradation may only end up contributing to greater challenges for countries over time. Done the right way, however, with transparent, sustainable investment in projects that respond to the country's needs and engage their local workers to maintain high labor and environmental standards, infrastructure can be a strong foundation that allows societies in low- and middle-income countries to grow and to prosper. That's the idea behind the Build Back Better world. And together with the private sector and our G7 partners, we aim to mobilize hundreds of billions of dollars in infrastructure investment. We also will also continue to be the world's largest contributor to humanitarian assistance, bringing food, water, shelter, emergency health care, and other vital life-saving aid to millions of people in need. When the earthquake strikes, the typhoon rages, or disaster anywhere in the world, the United States shows up, we'll be ready to help. And at a time when nearly one in three people globally do not have access to adequate food, adequate food just last year, the United States is committing to rallying our partners to address immediate malnutrition and to ensure that we can sustainably feed the world for the decades to come. One quick to that thing end, about that. Um, yeah. The lockdowns that were allowed to start by Trump, which is a crime against humanity, and are being accelerated and continued by leaders, so, so-called leaders all over the country, including Biden. Those lockdowns caused massive starvation and malnutrition. If any of this was honest, they would admit that and say the lockdowns all have to stop permanently. And even if other so-called pandemics start, the idea of freedom has to spread, not the idea of what Joe means by dignity. And freedom means your government can advise you and say, we think you should hide in your bathroom because there's a terrible pandemic that's going to kill everybody. And then if you want to hide in your bathroom, you can. But there's something called unalienable rights, and the government can't force you to, in violation of those. And as far as prosperity goes and underprivileged countries, and the thing that creates prosperity is freedom, not stealing the money from one country and shipping it off to corrupted leaders in another one. So all of this is uh, double speak to put it very politely. Let's try to finish it up if we're near the end here. The United States is making a $10 billion commitment to end hunger and invest in food systems at home and abroad. Whose money is that, Since Joe? 2000, the United States government has provided more than $140 billion to advance health and strengthen health systems, and we will continue our leadership to drive these vital investments to make people's lives better 
every single day. Just give them a little breathing room. And as we strive to make lives better, we must work with renewed purpose. Then the conflicts that are driving so much pain and hurt around the world we must redouble our diplomacy and commit to political negotiations, not violence, as a tool of first resort. To manage tensions around the world, we must seek a future of greater peace and security for all people of the Middle East. The commitment of the United States to Israel's security is without question. And our support for an independent Jewish state is unequivocal. But I continue to believe that a two-state solution is the best way to ensure Israel's future as a Jewish democratic state, living in peace alongside a viable, sovereign, and democratic Palestinian state. We're a long way from that goal at this moment, but we must never allow ourselves to give up on the possibility of progress. We cannot give up on solving raging civil conflicts, including in Ethiopia and Yemen, where fighting between war, warring parties is driving famine, heroic, horrific violence, human rights violations against civilians, including the unconscionable use of rape as a weapon of war. We'll continue to work with the international community to press for peace and bring an end to this suffering. As we pursue diplomacy across the board, the United States will champion the democratic values that go to the very heart of who we are as a nation and a people. Freedom, equality, opportunity, and a belief in the universal rights of all people. It's stamped into our DNA as a nation, and critically, it's stamped into the DNA of this institution, the United States, we sometimes forget, I quote the opening words of the Universal Declaration of Human Rights, quote, the equal and inalienable rights of all members of the human family is the foundation of freedom, justice, and peace in the world. The founding ethos of the United Nations places the rights of individuals at the center of our system. And that clarity and vision must not be ignored or misinterpreted. The United States will do our part, but will be more successful and more impactful if all of our nations are working toward the full mission to which we are called. That's why more than 100 nations united again around a shared statement and the Security Council adopted a resolution outlining how we'll support the people of Afghanistan moving forward, laying out the expectations to which we'll hold the Taliban when it comes to respecting universal human rights. We all must advocate for women, the rights of women and girls, to use their full talents to contribute economically, politically, and socially, and pursue their dreams free of violence and intimidation from Central America to the Middle East to Africa to Afghanistan, wherever it appears in the world. We almost call out and condemn the targeting and oppression of racial, ethnic, and religious minorities when it occurs in, whether it occurs in Xinjiang or Northern Ethiopia or anywhere in the world. We all must defend the rights of LGBTQI individuals 
so they can live and love openly without fear, whether it's Chechnya or Cameroon or anywhere. As we steer our, steer our nations toward this inflection point and work to meet today's fast-moving, cross-cutting challenges, let me be clear. I am not agnostic about the future we want for the world. The future will belong to those who embrace human dignity, not trample it. The future will belong to those who unleash the potential of their people, not those who stifle it. The future will belong to those who give their people the ability to breathe free, not those who seek to suffocate their people with an iron hand. Authoritarianism, the authoritarianism of the world, may seek to proclaim the end of the age of democracy, but they're wrong. The truth is, the democratic world is everywhere. It lives in the anti-corruption activists, the human rights defenders, the journalists, the peace protesters. On the front lines of this struggle in Belarus, Burma, Syria, Cuba, Venezuela, and everywhere in between, it lives in the brave women of Sudan who withstood violence and oppression to push a genocidal dictator from power and who keep working every day to defend their democratic progress. It lives in the proud Moldovans who helped deliver a landslide victory for the forces of democracy with a mandate to fight graft, to build a more inclusive economy. It lives in the young people of Zambia who harnessed the power of their vote for the first time, turning out in record numbers to denounce corruption and chart a new path for their country. And while no democracy is perfect, including the United States, we'll continue to struggle to live up to the highest ideals to heal our divisions. And we face down violence and insurrection Democracy remains the best tool we have to unleash our full human potential. <clears throat> My fellow leaders, this is a moment where we must prove ourselves the equals of those who come before us, who with vision and values and determined faith in our collective future built our United Nations, broke the cycle of war and destruction, and laid the foundations for more than seven decades of relative peace and growing global prosperity. Now, we must again come together to affirm the inherent humanity that unites us is much greater than any outward divisions or disagreements. We must choose to do more than we think we can do alone so that we accomplish what we must together. Ending this pandemic and making sure we're better prepared for the next one, staving off climactic climate change, and increasing our resilience to the impacts we already are seeing. Ensuring a future where technologies are a vital tool to solving human challenges and empowering human potential, not a source of greater strife and repression. Uh, okay. These are the challenges That's that good. we will determine. Uh, this is um, repeating over and over and over. And I'm sorry about that. Anybody honest that was up there speaking on behalf of the United States. And I, I hope that somebody arises to be able to do that, emerges to be able to do that, you know, without the little details like, you know, Trump did a great job except for the fact that he handed over the world to global tyranny under the guise of health. And if somebody honest was up there talking about the problems that 
Joe is addressing, making believe that he believes in freedom and prosperity and things like that. The COVID-19 crisis, the climate crisis, the economic prosperity crisis, you'd say, what are you guys doing? Take your masks off. Number one, that would shake it up. I mean, more than his long on and on speech, take off your masks. There's extensive documentation that masks don't do anything. And besides, well, certainly not against viruses. They're not they're not an effective filter against real viruses at all. But if you want to have a pandemic, you know, and say that the COVID-19 pandemic is real, show me the virus, the isolated virus. Anybody that's in legal disputes about this whole COVID-19 pandemic, it has to rest on that proof of the isolated virus. And then once you have the isolated virus, to see if anybody has it in their body to any degree that could cause a problem. You need a real test. The PCR test is fake. And Kerry Mullis knows that it's, well, he knew that it was fake before he passed away because he invented it. And he said on the internet, this doesn't diagnose anything. He didn't say that it's this many false positives. He said it's irrelevant It's not a test for COVID-19. It's not a test for any viral infection at all. So a test is needed. A sample of the virus is needed. If you don't have those things, there's no indication that the people who are dying are dying from the the so-called virus. None. So you have to start from scratch and see what they're dying for. What's the contribution of environmental toxins? What's the contribution of 5G or other radiation uh, hazards, things like that. Um, What's the contribution of possible terrorist-inspired spraying of spike protein? There are a lot of people talking. We're posting this on lostartsradio.com all the time now, that it looks like the people who were showing catastrophic uh, illness prior when the uh, pandemic was just started may have been injected or sprayed with uh, spike protein, but there's no proof whatsoever that they were dying of a virus and there still isn't. That's like a really important detail, (laughs) you know, so, so Joe is probably literally unaware of what he's talking about, but the the COVID-19 crisis worldwide can be dealt with right now. Take the masks off. Answer the question of where's the proof of the virus since it doesn't exist as far as we know. And nobody has an isolated sample. And if they, if they do bring, bring it forward, let us look at it. But apparently it doesn't exist. So that would declare an end to the pandemic right now. And then any lockdowns, any business uh, restrictions, any social distancing that would be ended, it would have to be ended because the foundation that justifies it all is missing. It takes about five minutes to go through that. Freedom, Joe's talking about freedom all the time, and he's also talking about the climate crisis. The climate crisis has some similarities with the COVID-19 pandemic. To prove the climate crisis, you've got to see what the climate is in a natural form. You can't do that with huge... uh, fleets of planes all over the world spraying toxic metals and other 
uh, environmental poisons all over the environment. First step in figuring out what the climate situation is, is to stop that. How, how long does it take to figure that out? And if you're not sure it's happening, look at the websites that have documented it in video, geoengineeringwatch.org, globalskywatch.com, and globalskywatch.com has a list of other geoengineering uh, groups all over the world that have documented well. And we've had uh, researchers, Clifford Carnicom and others on uh, lostartsradio.com on the Sunday show to talk about some of the ingredients of what's being sprayed on everybody. How dumb do we have to be to think of everything as a conspiracy theory so that we won't check it out? That's why I said it's a consciousness issue. First thing about the geoengineering is, as with any proposed uh, definition of a problem, okay, let's look at it. You know, we've already got samples of the spray residue. Uh, Dane Wigington has done a lot of work, but so have other people. And if that's not looked at, any talk about the climate crisis is a moot point. The idea that we have to reduce CO2 is absurd. There's, you know, the, the honest scientists have shown that the correlation between CO2 levels in the atmosphere and temperature is zero. There's no correlation. And when they try to show that there is a correlation, they use a small piece of, of the time scale. If you zoom out and show millions of years, there's, there's, I've seen those, those graphs and I can't see any correlation at all. Besides plants vote against cutting down CO2. That's their food, or at least that's some of their food. And it's really critical element in their diet. Greenhouse growers know that if you want the plants to be more luxuriant and healthy, you give them additional CO2. The idea that that's evil and cutting it out is um, part of the genocide agenda of the Great Reset, the 2030 agenda, things like that. Um, economic prosperity is driven by one primary element, and that's freedom. Not government handouts. What what money is government using that Joe's talking about to make what he calls investments? You know, investments sound really impressive. Investment, wow, that must be really great. Uh, it's like the, the Green New Deal. Uh, AOC and others were saying, we have to invest hundreds of billions of dollars to retrofit all the buildings and do all this stuff. Wait a minute. What's that middle part about where you got the hundreds of billions of dollars. Economic prosperity and freedom require that the economies are not controlled by central banks. Ron Paul has said a lot about that, and it's been most of it's been ignored by the people in charge. Central banks need to be retired, and honest banking needs to replace them along with an honest money system. And then freedom goes with that. And that doesn't mean freedom to do things that destroy the whole environment for everybody and kill the life support systems of the planet. That's not legitimate freedom. But within respect for other people's rights and that you don't do things to poison the food supply and proliferate genetically modified food, those are not expressions of legitimate freedom. But if you, within those caveats that you have to respect the rights of others, Freedom produces prosperity, and it also produces charity, so that you don't need the government to say, we're giving money generously to all these other, you know, 
corrupt leaders or corporations in other countries. It's not theirs to give. These crises can be solved very quickly. And all of the labs worldwide that are have been working for a long, many years on developing new dangerous pathogens like the one that they put in the current vaccine, the ones, I should say, um, they need to be shut down, obviously. And Francis Boyle has gone into great depth and clarity and documentation of that. Anybody that wants the details, we and others have posted it all over. And um, in the U.S., it's been, that kind of work has been illegal since about 1990. And it's just being ignored. So who's going to stay in charge of the world? You know, the leaders are able to get away with this stuff because people just walk around like zomb- hypnotized zombies. And if you're in the military or you're in the police or you're in the science world or you're part of the medical profession, you're working in a hospital or a school and you're going along with the tyranny and the poisoning of kids' minds and all that, then there's not much hope unless you change course. So anybody that wants to help, become conscious first. Take care of your body. Don't fall for the poison medicine idea that Toxic chemicals are the way to health, and injecting poisons is the way to avoid disease. That's not really a brilliant idea, you guys. It's never been true. It's not true now. And all the real health information is being violently suppressed, certainly in the U.S. and in most of the world. So that needs to be turned around. You need to start with yourself, because if we just run around telling other people to change, and we don't do it, then there's no power in the words. So take your own health back as much as you can. Learn about natural health remedies that are real. And mostly the details of everyday lifestyle are the most main thing. And then watch your thoughts. Don't hate anybody. Don't hate Donald Trump. Don't hate Joe Biden or Hillary Clinton or George Bush or Putin or Xi Jinping or anybody. There's a frequency that people put out. That's a long subject, and I want to wrap this up right now. But that cell towers are not the only thing putting out frequency. Human beings are potentially much stronger. So find out what frequency you're broadcasting. It affects the atmosphere of the whole planet, and that affects how things go. And, And Joe was right about one thing that he said. He called it an inflection point in history turning point and it's up to you which way it goes you're not insignificant powerless incompetent you know incapable of understanding things that's all nonsense so we have to wake up our abilities like they used to be before our memory of history but it was real and it's still there and it could come back you know there are belief systems that that I'm not advocating any new religions or anything like that, but there are belief systems that remind us that we were made according to an image of where we came from, an image of God. And that's not a hypnotized zombie. So if we wake up and the people within the power structure, ones that are like the people that are working for Project Veritas and the ones that are exposing what's really going on, the people resisting the tyranny in Australia and New Zealand and 
every other country in the world right now, England and Canada and the U.S., and trying to bring back harmony and natural prosperity that is not something synthetic from government. That needs to be expanded. And when Chris Sky and David Icke and others advocate peaceful, organized noncompliance, they're right. But to, to do that on a mass scale, we need to wake ourselves up so we don't fall for this kind of stuff. Don't eat poison food. That's a good start. Never eat things with GMO ingredients. They're really deadly. That's been shown. Don't let people inject poison into your body. And if it's already happened, which is true with hundreds of millions of people now, many of us are working on remedies for that and some progress has been made. So stay in touch and um, goodwill is an antidote to fear and hatred. You know, it doesn't make you weak to get rid of hate. It makes you stronger and clearer. Hatred fills your or clouds your vision and you don't need that. So really necessary for us to all wake up and help each other right now. And Joe Biden is it's probably not his fault. Uh, I don't think he's aware of what's going on to any great depth. And there are people behind who are writing the script on his teleprompter. And there are people under him who are enforcing what's coming through from the orders, like the, like the police in Australia. And you guys need to stop doing that because you're just being just like the people who are serving the Third Reich in Germany and saying, well, we're just following orders. We're just protecting our pay. And at some point, you have to say, whatever happens to me, it doesn't matter. I can't go along with, with known dishonesty and harm and killing of other people. Got to find out where our, our line is of what we'll go along with and have it not be a, you know, a sliding scale. It has to stop at some point. So anyway, sorry for going on for so long. I didn't think it would take that long. And, Sorry for subjecting you to Joe Biden for so many minutes, too, but I think it's important to realize, yeah, Trump had huge deficit. Q was wrong. Q was misinformation on most of what they said. Same people who said Trump would be inaugurated the last January 20th. But he had great things that he did do and great motivation, sacrificed a huge amount to do what he did, said things directly against the globalists, got people thinking about it. I'm not necessarily saying Trump should be the leader, but somebody with the same character and resources and understanding and the willingness to admit a mistake and say, you know, sorry that uh, I was complicit in killing hundreds of millions or billions of people. I didn't know. And then do something to reverse the course of the whole thing. It's not impossible. It doesn't have to be Trump. It could be anybody. But um, consciousness is the bottom line key. So start on yourself because you affect everybody. If you make a change in your own life, you're immediately having an impact on the whole world. Don't underestimate it. And that's mainly what I wanted to say. So stay in touch with us at lostartsradio.com then you can tell where we're censored and where we're not. And uh, Planetary Healing Club's available for people that want to go into this more deeply. We're all working to try to improve ourselves as the starting point for 
a real pandemic of consciousness worldwide, which is what's needed. And we'll talk a lot more about it in the near future. I do like this commentary ability with the new software, but we'll try to keep it within bounds of, you know, not going too long with people who are just repeating the same thing. It's important to understand, though, that we've taken a big step down from Trump to Biden, and now it needs to go in the other direction and step up way above where Trump was leading people when he fell for the pandemic nonsense and take it back and realize that uh, I guess we would agree with Joe Biden, dignity is needed. That means not falling for any of his junk that's actually coming from a, a very small group controlling the world. If their enforcers defect, and if you say, not only no, I won't go along with it, but no, I won't enforce it, that's going to change the de- direction of everything. So take care of yourself. Realize how incredibly valuable and essential you are. Watch everything that you do and improve it. And we'll help each other that way. Okay, so have a great week. Have a good weekend. And um, stay in touch. Give us feedback if you can. And we'll keep uh, helping each other get through this as well as possible. So... Take it easy and we'll talk to you soon.